Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comets Tale podcast with Ty and Caitlin. And we're really excited to be back. It's been a hot minute since we've done one of these. Yeah. We've uh, been in different parts of the world and on and off grid, and I've missed doing them. It's I feel like there was a nice flow doing it like once or twice a month. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope to get back, and I let's plan to like do that every month now at least. Sure. Like, because it feels very culminative. Um, anyway, we're going to come to you today with a conversation about an idea that has kind of been crystallizing for me over the past few weeks, um, and it's the topic of living artistically and or doing art, and also, I guess, what it means to be an artist. Um, so this came up for me. I was recently in the Big Bend region of Texas in the Chihuahuan Desert, and I was volunteering uh, and building some earth block structures with this um, new organization that's out there. And I was just really intrigued by, you know, this site and this um, organization of people that are committed to, like, ground up building and, I mean, building of actual structures, but also community and just rural life. So, and doing that in a really competent and considered way. So... I had a really nice time for a lot of March being out there, um, and between, you know, so most of my time out there was spent volunteering, working, building these structures, but also, you know, we had a good amount of off time too, so I think between working with my hands, um, for most of the week and then having a few days off with just my thoughts alone most of the time, um, some things kind of came together, and... I guess I'll lead into this conversation with just kind of a premise um, or a realization that I came to um, for really like as long as I can remember, I've always enjoyed art. I've always of all kinds, music, um, film, photography, literature. Um, I always I've, I just have an appreciation for many different kinds of media performance um, but I guess I've always seen myself as an appreciator or a viewer or like an audience of that. Um, something about, even though I've, you know, done in different ways, kind of informally, um, different kinds of creative projects, I've always shied away from being like wanting to call myself an artist or identify in that way. Um, I think maybe because I've met a lot of insufferable people who call themselves, <laughs> art themselves artists, um, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of baggage around that term. It has, there's just all kinds of prejudices and assumptions that comes with, like, the the word itself of an artist, or, like, the category of who an artist is in our society. Um, you know, we, we might think of an artist as someone who's really distant, as someone who's um, just kind of self-involved, um, negatively, that is, like, um, I mean, of course, artists offer a lot, and... Um, are huge cultural innovators and generators. Um, but there's something, I guess, that felt a bit egoic and, I don't know, kind of self-important about that term. And so I never really identified with that. Um, and also I think in that I, I don't really have a formal practice of any kind. I don't, I guess I had assumed that to be an artist meant you were a painter or a filmmaker or a musician and that you dedicated yourself to a particular craft or medium. And, um, you know, I don't really have something I'm committed to formally in that way. And so had never really identified with the term, but something about just being out and kind of living, I think in this slower pace and with people who were also kind of in a similar rhythm with me, got me thinking about that differently. Um, I started to realize that art and the, is actually a process more than a product. Um, it begins with conversations, with, um, with ideas, with rough drafts, with thinking, with daydreaming, um, with reading, with going around in the world and trying things out, with a whole bunch of other different things aside from sitting down and painting on a canvas, let's say. Um, and something about that was just really transformational. Um, it might sound small, and I think we'll get into more of why this is actually pretty profound. Um, but something about that 
I was allowed, I gave myself permission that I guess to begin to think about what I was doing there and to think about my ordinary life beyond that as a process of art or doing art or being in a kind of artful mode. So that's today's um, topic of conversation. Um, I was curious, we haven't really talked about this too much, but was there anything that came to mind for you immediately when I proposed this topic? Not immediately, but I mean, maybe this will be a good jumping off point to serve like a definition of kind of what I've been thinking about in terms of like art and living artistically as you, the the phrase that you've been using to bring it up is quote living artistically unquote living mm. artistically is the idea um and so something that I've just been thinking about recently is just well of course the quote life imitates art mm. rather I would say that art is like the process of <laughs> just like the process of processing life mm. in a way. Um, and just kind of, if you look at it, if you look at art and doing art in those, ter in the terms of how you process your own life, then everyone is an artist and there are several things that, you know, everyone does to process their own life and therefore it can be called art. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I was just thinking of the way that I would say that I process my life or whatnot is through, and it's not necessarily process my own life, it's process life and reality in general. It's to kind of I, I have an eye of kind of like found subjects or found pieces mm -hmm. like for example I'm just looking over there and I know what lies in those boxes are just little tidbits of like shit that I've collected and f to, to put it very literally to put this like very art literally like here I'll show you I'll show you this we're making a live demo here this is a so, for example, <laughs> describe what you're, what you're looking uh, at. I'm seeing a beautiful A4 letter-sized canvas with uh, some dried flowers and petals that have been um, plastered onto a white canvas. Okay, so that's one example. <laughs> um, so you're a surrealist, is what well, you're saying. No, hold on. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, Okay, now describe what you're seeing uh, here. A really lovely collage, another canvas. Um, there are some uh, cutouts of some aspen trees and some film strips and some leaves and a little banner that says light my fire and another that with a, a barn owl that says angle of repose. Okay, so let me just describe the where all these things came from as a kind of point of entry of like, this is an example of how I like would process the world or like the, the way that I kind of build something out of like just going through life. Mm -hmm. So film strips, these are from, um, <laughs> also this is like, just, this is, this has no greater meaning. <laughs> I mean, you can see, it, it does have like a palette, like a certain palette to it, yeah. but there's not really like a, I mean, maybe fall would be like the mm. idea here. Like the idea of autumn, it's autumnal, autumnal colors. These are from a brochure about Telluride, the uh, cutouts of Aspen trees. Mm. There's literal Aspen leaves oh. on it that I found. Nice. Um, the film strips are from just cutting up negatives of like old film that, so, for example, or, like, for just, we got, like, Kodak cameras when we were in school, like, in mm -hmm. the experiment or ex experiential school, <laughs> and, like, part of our projects would be, like, having a Kodak camera that we had, you know, a certain amount of photos that we could take per week, or, mm -hmm. I think, I don't know, we, we went crazy with them, so, like, it definitely wasn't for the whole semester, or whatever the semester was, 
equivalent was because we were seven and everything was interesting <laughs> to us. Yeah. Um, which is something that maybe we can talk about yeah. too. I think that's, well, that's relevant rich. to something you shared today. Right, right, right. Um, so that's, those are just negatives from like really old film reels. And then mm. the angle of repose, this is a wine label, um, from fence line actually. And thinking, then yeah. the light, my fire is from a postcard that I received, um, from, a candle company that makes candles based on like mm-hmm. classic rock songs and tarot cards. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So like, I don't know, just like this little collage is like, you know, it, it very well could be something mm-hmm. like it very well could be just trash, mm-hmm. you know? And, but there's these little things that I just get so like enticed by and I'm like, yeah. I need to like create something to like fucking yeah. like, honor well first of all like for example this wine label is fucking cool like Mm. but you know to just like honor the aesthetics of a certain thing yeah um so there's obviously more that we'll be starting to talk about as far as living artistically but like there i'm i guess i'm just bringing this up as a certain practice that like I don't, I wouldn't call myself an artist either, mm-hmm. yet here I am in these several different processes, yeah. building, collecting all this fucking shit, stu- ticket stubs, receipts, ephemera. like ephemera, and like, I'm like, I just need to, it's accoutrement, ever, accou- even. accoutrement even, <laughs> um, that it's just like, it's just so like lovely, like yeah. things that would just fall by the wayside. I'm like, I fucking love it. Like I'm, yeah. I'm into it. I love how associative and like connective that is. It's these things that you found independently or that came to you independently and that you put together that you found a pattern with, but one that's, you know, totally about synesthesia, your senses, colors, memories, feelings, experiences and i think that is a really great way to maybe begin to build a definition of like what living artistically is or like what an aesthetic sense is um oh, i was going to say something else um oh i also like what you said about i think a key kind of another key premise here is that everyone is an artist mm-hmm. um or has the capacity for for that here and now and everyone does that you know anyway um we're it's usually just, again, that we don't name it as such. I think the term or this category of art is often kept under the veil of, like, fine art and is therefore, like, really seen as prestigious and gate-kept and kind of something that exists in a white cube and nowhere else. And it's kind of this, um, oh, I don't know, something that's kind of sacred but in a pedestal kind of way, not in a way that you can connect with immediately. And I think it's really quite the opposite. I think... As I'm putting it, like, aesthetics or art, um, there's a definition that, like, of the original Greek word of aesthesis, which means basically just sensory perception, Mm. like, the ability to respond to beauty, for one, to, I don't know, the beauty of the natural world or of um, a person or or, or a work of um, created art or architecture. Um, There's just something that's innately human about our ability and propensity to respond to things that are beautiful or like visually or um sensorially interesting or unique or yeah pretty to us um so i i really this very democratic like definition of art is really opening to me um one thing I wanted to talk about also, I have this book, I couldn't find a passage, I don't know if it's mentioned specifically in here or elsewhere. I know I've mentioned her before, to mention her yet again, um, the author uh, Carolyn Elliott also has a podcast called The Sleepover Podcast with Layla Bernard, great podcast. Um, she wrote a book, uh, I brought it here, it's called Existential Kink, Unmask, Unmask Your Shadow and Embrace Your Power. And in part of this book, she talks about the importance of having an aesthetic attitude she makes this in contrast to like a moral attitude or I guess also like a political attitude or I guess other attitudes that are more driven towards judgment towards 
yes, no, right, wrong, good, bad, um, which are important attitudes to have for certain situations and times, um, but can be can be very cl- can close you off to other ways of sensing and feeling and being in the world. And so she says, by contrast, it's really beneficial if you're looking to become, you know, more individuated um, or just have a greater reach of your own capacity to, oh, I don't know, to have a variety of different experiences and to not be so tripped up by the usual things that hold you back, the usual kinds of um, fears, uh, anxieties, triggers, whatever that hold you back. She says it's really useful to have an aesthetic attitude. So uh, what that means, I think, in one way is to see things that we would ordinarily classify as good or bad or um, that we like or dislike, to instead just see these as flavors or as Mm -hmm. sounds or as like neutral just kind of gradations of experience the gradations uh i have an example that i was thinking about when i was coming up here so i used to work at a grocery store and you know anyone who's worked in customer service knows that it's not always the easiest kind of gig there's people who come in to a store or restaurant with all kinds of attitudes with all kinds of baggage with um whatever right some people are really very delightful to get al- and get along well with you. Um, other people are just kind of looking to get it and get out. Um, and occasionally have people who are <laughs> looking really to looking it. to fight, <laughs> looking to draw blood. So I, it was very interesting. I was in this position for about six months and I was um, at the checkout. That was my role, just kind of, um, you know, ringing people's stuff up and kind of the last chain of command in the great, big capitalist project, which is really interesting, actually. Um, But I thought it was a really interesting gig because, like, I got to meet people from all over this area who had all kinds of, you know, backgrounds and vocations and of all different ages who had come here for different reasons or had lived here for how long. Um, And over time, I came to notice that there was kind of something different between myself and a few other employees who kind of inhabited that role like me and then other employees in also working in the same role so you know as I said people would come into that store and uh, come through the checkout line with all kinds of attitudes feelings um, things they would fling at you Um, and in a way over time I came to be that came to like really jazz my day up in a way when people would come up in like pissed off or looking to fight or looking to I don't know, somehow just bring their vitriol into the store. It's kind of weird how people, like, I don't know, I guess in a way I think people come into a situation like that wanting to exert control because they feel powerless elsewhere. And so a an unsuspecting uh, cashier can often be in the way of that. Um, but I, in a weird way, would come to kind of relish those moments, of course, of, like, when I had a really positive, cool interaction with someone, but also... Um, when people were just pissed off because I had a role. I, it was my job to not get mad. It was my job to keep my cool. And I, I wasn't taking it personally, you know, their anger had nothing to do with me. And so I could just kind of stand there and witness and kind of reflect back to that person, what they were giving to me. And I found it to be like a mine. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was actually a big performance art scheme. Like, and why no do one we knew always <laughs> go back to clowns? <laughs> Where are those clowns? Anyway. It should um, be called the Clown Podcast. <laughs> the Clowns. The Pagliacci. The Pagli- Podcast. Pagli- Ooh, that's some alliteration to it. But anyway, so, you know, I was kind of like that. I was just, <clears throat> ended up cultivating some, like, flexibility and... I guess an aesthetic attitude in that I was just looking at the feelings as feelings, mm-hmm. not taking them on as like personal digs, judging the person back. I mean, not all the time or perfectly. Sometimes people would really irk me, but for the most part, I, I could just kind of separate myself from it and almost look at it like, I guess, yeah, in a way that almost like a play, mm-hmm. I could almost observe it from the outside of it as if it was like theater and, like, this person had been given these lines to be really angry or upset or just, like, <laughs> yeah. off, right? And other employees, I noticed, some could also do that. And, like, I, we would often kind of have fun, like, in the break room talking, like, oh, wow, that was that was wild. What a display. Others, though, would just 
were not on that on board with that and could get really hurt and pissed off and take on the baggage that had been dumped on them. Unfortunately, you know, and I, I could also empathize with those people, like, um, with people who didn't quite have the same attitude, you know. Um, but it was, I just noticed, I guess, in that ex, um, experience that I was able to have fun in that job. I was able to be really fluid and flexible and came to like actually form some pretty cool relationships with like other coworkers and even, um, you know, uh, customers who would come in because of that, which, um, I think was just the, a way of making the most out of a situation that, um, could have otherwise been pretty monotonous, um, and kind of a, a drag. Uh, but again, you know, other, other employees kind of took maybe more of a, I don't know, just a different kind of outlook, one that was not aesthetic, but rather based in judgment, again, understandably so, but became kind of trapped and beholden to the situation because of that. So I think, by way of example, I think to have an aesthetic attitude grants you a lot of uh, mobility and, and fluidity and an ability, and just really it saves you your own energy that could otherwise be devoted to this kind of, um, uh, I guess, one way or unidirectional, just kind of feelings of upset where your your feelings are dictating you, and by contrast, to to situate yourself aesthetically in things, really grants you a lot of mobility and volition mm-hmm. in those kinds of situations because you're kind of co-creating with the situation, giving meaning to the flavors and the colors and the feelings that are coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is something that extends very much to like ordinary interactions with people in the world. Yeah, well, and something that that like that takes practice, much like any sort of mm-hmm. artistic practice takes practice, mm-hmm. is learning to orient yourself in the world in that way, and learning to synthesize and process whatever comes at you. In, I think part of what you're saying is just kind of like emotionally disengaging, but it doesn't have to be emotionally disengaging. I think like when, when you're in a customer service standpoint, like it would be better if you were emotionally disengaged, but that's not every situation in, in which you're going to be facing your life with. Like, I think it's, Mm. it's really important to be extra emotionally engaged with some things, you know, like, other other life situations outside of being a cashier at a grocery store and having pissed off people come in and want to ruin your life um yeah but yeah just that element of learning how to make a practice of it and and willfully and consciously choose to do so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely um it is a practice. It's a it's a muscle. This kind of aesthetic um, sense, and the more you engage it, and I think the more you engage it as something like consciously naming it as like, oh, I'm having, I'm engaging aesthetically with the world and with my life right now. Uh, the stronger it gets, the more corners of it open up. Um, I mean, there's so many ways you can do that too. Like, uh, I mean consuming media i think first of all watching films since they watching tiktoks sometimes sometimes uh sometimes the tiktoks watch you <laughs> uh reading Don't listening give to music them any more reason <laughs> uh but you know like just first of all being i think if to being an artist presupposes that you first of all are a recipient and an audience mm-hmm. of art um but i think even that is also to create art right like anytime you have an aesthetic or an emotional response to a piece of art, I'd say that's actually also an act of creation. You're not just, something isn't just happening to you. You're also um, engaging with it and doing something with it and activating it too. Um, I had another thought, like maybe another definition that could help us. I think that speaks to something further about this also. Um, I guess I was noticing as well um, in thinking more expansively about what art is and who an artist could be other than someone who just has specialized 
knowledge as to how to make or represent things in a particular way through a certain medium. Um, it got me thinking about, yeah, people outside of that. It got me thinking in a less specialized way about art and who an artist is. And I came to realize that there's a lot of people who have nothing to do with the world of art as such, who are totally artists in my mind. Um, often random people that I'll just meet. Um, there was someone I met when I was volunteering um, who was, I think, maybe 75 and had lived on this ranch uh, in West Texas for like 40 years. <laughs> he, this is so funny, he he has just this kind of, uh, he well, he has an artistic point of view, I'd say, first of all, in that where common sense might reign, he really didn't have it. And it doesn't mean he was illogical or like... Um, he wasn't, he totally had his own logic, but it just wasn't like the logic of like linear consequentiality. So for example, um, before I met him, like, um, the directors of this program were talking about like kind of people they knew nearby. They're saying, Oh yeah, this guy, James, um, he's been a supporter of us, supporter of us for a long time. Um, he came here like 40 years ago, uh, dug a hole and lived there for five years. <laughs> I was like, okay, like, Definitely want to meet that guy. Uh, and I did. And um, he was really generous and had some great conversations with, with him about his life. He'd been um, an environmental activist for a number of years when he was in his 30s and 40s. Um, uh, knew Edward Abbey. He, I think brushed shoulders with brushed shoulders with Ed Abbey at one point and other, you know, big environmental names. Um but just kind of followed where the wind took him. And uh, yeah, it was just something about not beyond what he said in our conversations. It was how he said it. And he, I guess I would uh, summarize that by saying he was an incredible storyteller. Mm. He could tell us like he knew this, the land so well, and you know, could say, Oh yeah, I remember like 27 years ago, there was this bird that I saw and I saw it five years later and just had such uh, granular understanding of this place and didn't have an agenda behind it. Um, just had this really beautiful, languid, kind of dreamlike quality of how he would communicate things. Um, but he's one example, but I've met lots of other people who strike me in a similar way. And I guess as it kind of crystallized for me not too long ago is, I think an artist is in part someone who can uh, see with their own eyes, hear with their own ears, speak with their own words, think with their own mind, and feel with their own heart, um, ever more so. Um, in other words, you know, an artist is someone we might say who creates poetically something out of nothing or out of just what's given, takes that and transforms it into something that wasn't there or couldn't have been there had there not been some sort of makership. But I think an art artistic point of view is also one that is unique and like um unique you know that Beyonce song oh uh one <laughs> renaissance out on may 25th no um but i think an artistic point of view is one that is ever unique to that individual um and therefore i think it also has a lot to do with this matter of individuation becoming oneself in more specificity and particularity over time and yet at the same time becoming ever more connected to what's around you. Um, so to just kind of summarize that this is also a really exciting then kind of task to relate to your own sensations and faculties, mental, emotional, otherwise, um, in a way, in ways that are increasingly fitting to you. Um, and it's really exciting for me when I can meet people like that. Um, so, signaling this out there, I want to meet more artists. Artists! I want to I wanna meet you. <laughs> um, well, be, since it's our podcast, and since... I mean, you say that you don't want to signify yourself as an artist to a certain degree, but I do want to talk about, like I kind of just did with my little collages and stuff, I really do want to talk about the ways that like we may be doing the same thing like for example right now we have some vision boards that both Ty and I have made separately at different times um about different subjects 
to, I don't know, kind of illustrate this. And I think mm. it might be nice to concretely mm. describe stuff. Because I've also, I mean, in thinking about this living artistically, it's more, it's more conducive to me and my thought process to think about things on a concrete, minute level of like, what do I create? And what do I, how do I approach art and how do I approach, um, create, creating things. And I, I have my own thoughts about my own process, but I kind of want to talk to you about like your process as well, as well of creating, um, certain things or, and, and I have my own thoughts about your style as well. Um, no, <laughs> like I'm, subtext, I have my own judgments. No, about no, 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 no. Um, but I mean, we've known each other for a long time and like, I've, I've seen much of what you've written, mm. made film wise, made con like as far as visual art. And so I just kind of want to maybe like talk about our individual practices as well. So maybe mm. we can start with your vision board and sure. Well, I guess I wanted to say, but firstly, before the vision board, um, I was just thinking about another experience I had in the fall and into this year also, um, which was, uh, I was a participant in a program called land arts of the American West, um, which was a great, is a great program and a really cool opportunity, um, to engage in a kind of field based, arts experience where uh, for two months in the fall you kind of do a field trip around the southwest visiting all kinds of different sites national parks um kind of formal canonical land art sites uh dumping grounds um old defunct factories bombing test sites military sites um communities museums all kinds of articulations and appropriations of land um and then you make a, a piece of it of what you experienced during a month in the studio. And I made a video project out of that, um, which was, yeah, like a kind of flanouring anthropological artistic um, review of that in a way. Thinking about kind of big themes of like dwelling, history, futurity, um, things like that. Um and I also worked on it with a friend who did the narration, which was great. Um, and makes me think also that doing art definitely doesn't happen in isolation or in a vacuum. It's deeply relational with lots of things. Maybe it's place and the world itself, um, certainly with other people, artists you might be inspired by. There was a lot of authors and pieces of visual art film that I was thinking about that I was kind of pulsing through this project. Um, and then also through active collaboration and conversation with a friend. And so, you know, now I have this video and that's the kind of product of it, but really, and that's a great thing to have. But to me, when I think of this project, I don't really think of the video itself. I think of the whole experience, the whole chain of everything else that is the body that led to the kind of that tip of the iceberg. Um, but it's also getting shown at a gallery in New Mexico later this month at kind of a small array near, is it, which is in Magdalena, New Mexico, which is exciting also because I feel like art becomes real when it's then shared and, and it gets to have other lives and other conversations get to happen, other experiences get to happen. I feel like, although I was the one orchestrating this video in a central way, um, now that it's completed, it, it, can it exists in other ways because other people bring their own interpretations, associations to it. They have different feelings from it. Um, it takes all these other directions. And so it's cool that I had a part in facilitating something, but that it's not mine in a way. I don't own it. Um, yes, but on the topic of vision boards, so are you going to say well, something? Well, would you want to talk about film first then? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was just thinking about yeah. with what I made recently. Um, I guess to say a little bit more on that, I have a tiny background in doing video stuff. Um, so studying anthropology previously, I was really fortunate to study under a professor and write a dissertation with a professor who is part of uh, what's called the Sensory Ethnography Lab at Harvard. So this is a place where you know anthropology is a largely textual 
discipline and uh that's something that's been questioned in recent like maybe the last 15 or 20 years um the kind of the centrality that tech should have um when a lot cannot be communicated um through the literary medium so why shouldn't we also be using film and sound and images and other kinds of um non-logocentric non-thought-based mediums um, that can actually just be accessed through the senses themselves so that was really part of my own background in terms of doing anthropology i think i guess i think of anthropology as an art form or as the kind of medium that i was able to get some instruction in and to work through um and that's a bigger question of mine too is what's this connection between art and anthropology how do they how could they or how do they overlap and what could result from like the marriage of these two disciplines. And I liked in the video that I recently made how it was in one part documentary, um, but also went beyond that to kind of be speculative and imaginative. And I could move beyond just what I um, empirically found to imagine what I could have found or what, what might else be out there um, and to make up stuff. And I think to then relate to the imagination uh, let me backtrack. I think what having just been brought up in a field that's really based in you know the kind of a scientific documentary style at the exclusion of fiction, I guess I would say, what was kind of implicitly instilled in me was that fiction doesn't really matter. It's kind of just superfluous. It's um, just kind of fun to consume, but not really important beyond that. And kind of being away from that field now, I realize it's really the opposite. You know, fiction is hugely important in terms of allowing us to imagine other kinds of possibilities. And actually, the imagination is a muscle that, again, needs to be exercised, and it's something that needs to be practiced at through reading fiction, through watching fictional film, let's say, um, through writing it as well, and through thinking hypothetically or speculatively. So... Um, the medium of film is something that is really conducive to that kind of combination in that you can, um, you know, of course, document things, but also depart from literality, from the trap of, of what literalism can be, or, or just the kind of limitations of what literal ways of representation can be. Um, so I guess that's my own kind of roundabout explanation of my experience with the medium of film recently, but I mean, you actually have a, a background in this. That's what you studied yeah. for four years. And, you know, you've made quite a lot of projects yeah. in that time. Yeah. Um, I mean like my style, I guess, uh, like something that I was kind of trying to get out earlier is like, even though everyone is, has the ability to live artistically and everyone to a certain extent is living artistically because they're, um, somebody in the world who has to process that reality in some way. Um, everyone has their own style of mm. approaching a subject or approaching their own life. Um, and today I was, I mean, really, I was, wasn't really even talk like thinking about doing the podcast later. I was mainly just like, well, it's April, and I made a film, I guess, six years ago now, which is so mm. crazy to me, yeah. um, where I took, um, once again, f not necessarily found footage, because it was footage that I made. I just refound it. Um, we have so many, uh, my fam me we meaning my family, we have so many tapes, camcorder tapes that... Um, my brother and I would just run around and my sister, <laughs> um, yeah. my sister actually made a, <laughs> my second birthday present from my sister was this film, like this camcorded film called, um, farm animals. <laughs> and it was her just walking around our farm and filming all the inhabitants <laughs> including me, including my extremely pregnant mother at the time. <laughs> like, this was before my brother was even born. Um, and, like, just... It was so... I don't know. It just, like, speaks to just kind of, like, this mode that I mm. think all three of us, my sister, my brother, and I, all kind of 
live and this was this was pre iPhone this was mm-hmm. like this was like when you had to put in a literal tape like in yeah. a in a physical like camcorder um but anyway so when i was in school this was during an experimental film class um we did a bunch of different things but one of my projects this was my end of the year project it was called a meditation on april um i had film footage from when i was i would have been 6 um running around with my camcorder and filming like in in the film it's only it's not even 2 minutes long but in part of it, in part of it i'm just like 6 years old like saying <laughs> These are pretty flowers. They're called pasque flowers. <laughs> like, so tied with nature so and, literate. like, the land. Yeah. And, yeah, like, it's... And I was, like, while I was watching it today, just being reminded, because it is the month of April right now, I was reminded of that, watched it again, and was fucking crying. Because I'm just, like... Yeah. I mean, not only did I make it six years ago, this mm. is... That was 20 years ago. Like, that was footage from 20 years ago where, like, I don't know, like, even recognizing myself in the video of, um, like, I, my countenance or body is not in the video, but my voice is, and just, like, recognizing, like, the, my cadence and sort Mm. of things was just, like, really emotional for me, Mm. and, um sort of the same thing like with my uh in the film also i juxtapose my brother as like this tiny tiny little kid (laughs) with a binky in his mouth he goes here's my ribbon and he like shows his ribbon (laughs) and like then i juxtapose that with him um later uh being a full man basically with a a camera in his hand um and then the next is a clip of, well, in in the video, you, the, there's some context from the video that you can't really tell, but like I'm uh, reading, I'm was filming myself reading a book. So there's already some huh. some layers of um, reflexivity and mm. some meta things that are going on with that. But the book I happened to be reading was The Gas We Passed, The Book of Farts. <laughs> and so I was reading that, and in the video, not in the video that I made later, but in the original video, I've watched it several times where I'm literally holding the book with my feet and, like, <laughs> turning the page with my hand and, like, just kind of, like, holding the book open with my feet. Mm. Um, but in that video, I tell my dad, I, like, trip over something and I say, Shit! And then I, like, pan up to my dad, and he's, like, on the bed, like, hey. He's, like, what are you doing? Hi, Caitlin, what are you doing? And I was, like, I was filming The Gas We Passed, The Book of Farts. Like, so matter-of-factly. And then in the now time, which is now six years ago, it's my um, dad laying, laying, lounging on my floor in this house, um, petting my cat and saying... Coral, you better love on Caitlyn because she's going to leave soon. Or yeah. love on Caitlyn before she leaves. And then it cuts to a airplane. But anyway, like, I <laughs> I just, like, I mean, it's just, there are, I mean, like, I just, and it was so, it was just so emotional for me because it's like, yeah. now that's now six years later and I'm still, I mean, Coral is dead. Like, things are different and it's just that cyclical nature of time that's like, oh my God, like it's April again, that it's just like, that's kind of like to, <laughs> to not get in the, my in, like to back away from the minute details of like the art that I actually make. It's this constant uncovering of truth mm. is what is happening in art a lot of times. And like, I, that's all to say that I had that today where it's just like, I made this film about the nature of time and I'm still being affected by the nature of time. Yeah. Is this fucking play about us? <laughs> That's really beautiful. It's so sweet though that you're such a shared family affair. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I think also goes to show that even at five years old, probably younger too. I mean, Kyle being in it too, like as a younger kid, like he knew it was up and it's just in us as people. Like this is not a kind of this way, like a filmic way of being in the world. Let's say it's just in us. Give someone a camera and they'll, they'll be attuned to observing the world filmically. Um, I wanted to kind of transition from that. It, we're, I think we're good on time, but something else I wanted to mention, um, also on film, bit of a jump from that, but a film I watched last night, um, was by the filmmaker Derek Jarman, who was, uh, was a British filmmaker, made probably close to 20 films over his life, um, passed away of AIDS in the 90s, um, made a lot of films that were really lyrical, um, just has this really great sensibility of, like, play, humor, really kind of like a complex poetry and meditation too. Um, but I watched one of his final films called The Garden last night. And Jarman uh, lived in a little town called Dungeness in the southeasternmost point of England. And I visited Dungeness when I was uh, in the UK a few years ago with some friends, which was a great experience. There's like a pebble beach there and like these rocks get holed out like with, so they have like eyes in the middle. Um, it's a really special place. There's a nuclear power plant there. There's all this like washed up sea stuff, uh, ships, old um, defunct rail equipment. Um, so it's kind of a, this funky surrealist landscape. Jarman lived there though. And I love how he's described. Like um, he was just loved by so many people, uh, had this really indomitable spirit. And even when he was close to dying, just lit up the room and was so aesthetically alive and nourished by his film. He was a, well, he, Tilda Swinton got her start with him, another art icon and god of mine. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, his approach was all about play. It was all about uh, leaning into the world in all of its spectacle. Um, but I think what's really telling is, like, that he was known as a gardener, not just as a filmmaker, mm. but as a gardener. He was known for really... For living, kind of making the mundane beautiful, and and I've been to his house too, and there's this incredible ornate garden full of like the most exquisite handpicked rocks and these kind of uh, I don't know just funky like coastal plants that he put there. This black house where there's poetry written on the sides of it, and he really made his art into life, or his life into art rather, as you say. I think I think art is informed by life. Mm -hmm. um, or art can be life, or it's possible to live one's life as an artistic project, as mm -hmm. an artistic unfoldment, as as a undulating work of art. And I think your film also really speaks to that in a really beautiful way, too. Um, but Jarman is a wonderful example to look back on of someone who did just that, who lived an aesthetic life and honored that foremost. Um should we transition to talking about our vision boards? Yeah. <laughs> so, to conclude things, we have, uh, and maybe this could be kind of a an assignment even to our listeners, mm. dear listeners. Um, so, Caitlin's been doing this practice for some time. Like, you've created vision boards for, yeah, quite a few years. Um, yeah, I would say this is really my only second year that I've been doing it seriously. I did one a lot, a long time ago when I was a teenager. I did one for last year. I do like yearly, um, vision boards and they're, I mean, like I do them at other points in the year, but I, I find it really therapeutic and really informative and really like just a fun even to pit, like just make a collage and vision board for the year um mm. and yeah so if you want to I, I can describe yours and you can describe mine i think i want to describe mine okay you want to describe your own yeah i want to articulate this so i had not really made a vision board until recently um <laughs> and there was a kind of prompt for this vision board something prompted it rather um i had been describing to caitlin and also guests in front of the show, Riley, uh, a kind of feeling that I got from a, an unlikely place. So I would imagine people probably know the brand Luna Bar. <laughs> it's a, 
it's a kind of sports and energy bar, um, oddly enough designed, I guess targeted at women, you know, uh, anyone can eat this food, but it, it has a, it's oriented towards that as its uh, consumer market. But anyway, I, I, there's like a kind of like uh, an image lodged in my mind of seeing the rappers of this bar, like when I was like maybe six years old, uh, and in particular, so the bar has, a, I think, a big full moon, sand dunes, and, like, this group of three women just reveling under the moonlight, just in all kinds of exalted dance and contortion and just in this totally uninhibited, worshipful, devotional, ecstatic state. And there was some sort of, like, feeling that that put into my young mind <laughs> that has, like, stuck with me, and it's it's now an archetype for me, but I was, like, trying to describe that, wow, that's a feeling state that's so beautiful and, like, human and expansive, and I want more of that for myself, and you said, oh, we'll make a vision board for it, um, I challenge you, and so, and so I did uh, to kind of expand and kind of augment this feeling um, and this sense of how I want to tap into the world. So to describe the vision board as I'm seeing it here, there's first of all scenes from the that bar itself, the these uh, dancing Lunabar women. Uh, there's a scene of like the spring sprite from the Fantasia 2000 <laughs> adap adaptation of Igor Stravinsky's uh, Firebird Suite, who brings life and lush greenery to uh, a devastated forest. There's a, a statue of Hermes, the god of wit and quickery and messages. There's erotic Mediterranean photographs. There's a full moon. There's air. I should have added some sea foam here as well. Like, I think part of the Lunabar universe has to do with this kind of, like, ephemeral, fleeting, mercurial, gone by the dawn of morning kind of energy mm. um, where there's no regard for what's next or what's in the future, but just in the moment, dancing jubilee. Truly a Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh-huh, and on that note, there's also <laughs> a screenshot, I love how it's like clearly from the trailer for this movie. Yeah. It, it has his name. It says, it's a Stanley Tucci as, I believe, Puck from yeah. Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream, the 1990-whatever adaptation of that, uh, holding, caressing some grapes with a mischievous <laughs> smile on his mouth. Um, that movie really gets this too. Like, just... Enjoy the the bright luminosity of the night of the of the mystical novel night. Um, some other paintings by an artist, Dimitris Papuano, gay Mediterranean stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a color palette of like greenery and warmth and lushness. What the hell is that? Those, that's a pomegranate. Also, pomegranates. Real fitting. And so I feel like to now have, like, made this, for, for example, it's really wonderful to say, okay, I have a bookmark in my mind. How do I want to feel? Oh, I want to tap into this universe. Mm -hmm. What's part of that? What's part of that world? What can my mind bring into it? And realizing that there's a canvas and a palette in my very own mind that can show me whatever I wish to see in the world and make me feel however would feel most delicious, full, real, um, wondrous. To kind of come into a sense of, like, numinosity of grand ecstatic things is one wonderful everyday practice of being an artist yeah um i okay well mine is kind of less informed well i don't know i think there's an aesthetic that it pulls together but uh mainly using Viva Magenta, which is the Pantone color of the year, mm. 2023. Um, but there's also the, like my vision board is mainly just a collage of things that I want to experience this year or the energy, the, the vibration and the vibration to which I would like to vibrate to. Mm. Um, in the middle, there is a little leopard thing with some pink on it. It says, hold your vision, trust the process. Um, there's a bunch of butterflies, big pink butterflies in several different places. There's a circle of dancing women. So that's mm. one, uh, similarity between Luna. them. Um, I think this is a little bit less Luna bar and a little more sisterhood of the traveling pants <laughs> style. Mm. 
Um, I've got money, film, uh, film strips, a passport. Um, Hector Bellerin, who is a soccer player who I think is really hot. Um, <laughs> I've got some fu- sushi and salmon and avocado and some just like drawings of fish and uh, like a canyon kind of monument valley esque with a river scene. Um, I've got water ripples. Um, and then just like, well, Rio de Janeiro also, and a film clapper, and hmm. a, a train at sunset. Um, hmm. Just a lot of a lot of things that are really just like uh, globbed together. But when I look at it, it's I don't know. Do you think that this is like with your aesthetic eye in this very moment? Do you feel like this is kind of cohesive in a sort a certain way? Totally, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of material enjoyment, food, mm. and places, and men. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, even though you and I are are different people with different, we had different ideas for our vision board. The ideas are kind of similar, yeah. You know? Like just this kind of manifestment of these earthly pleasures, um, right. And, oh, and, oh, fuck, I, this is important. Okay, the scene from The Little Princess of them waking up to the grand buffet that uh, has been placed there. That? that one. They're cheersing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, God, I've, you know, when I just, like, keep going through my life, there are certain, you know, pieces of art uh, f- like films um, today I also sent a video to you that is Woodstock's pad like <laughs> Woodstock's bachelor pad from <laughs> it's the Easter Beagle Charlie Brown <laughs> Woodstock's mid-century modern <laughs> bachelor pad dun, 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 dun. talk about aesthetic vision um, mm. but just thinking back like there are really there are so many things that like impressed themselves upon me in childhood that like I still return to and this scene in this movie from the little princess or a little princess I think it is um which for the listeners who aren't uh in the know it's about a girl who whose father is in the war and she gets sent to boarding school and she ends up he ends up quote-unquote dying but he's actually across the street from her um like uh healing from his wounds in battle and she's um just treated very poorly and she gets locked up in an attic with the servant girl and they're destitute at this one point and they're not being brought food to eat and so they really legitimately manifest this big brunch um Mm. that is brought in by the guy who's taking care of her of her dad but anyway it's a beautiful scene she's at the lowest of her low and that is the energy with which I'm looking to of like, even if there are points where I'm metaphorically locked in the attic, Mm. there will be a beautiful, abundant orange brunch before me the next morning. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's a great one. I mean, I think absolutely like this is a great, like if you want to like take it towards the area arena of like manifestation, like, wonderful i think just having an aesthetic outlook in itself though like does that if your mind is oriented towards like exquisite things well lo and behold that's what you're gonna pick up on out in the world so i think it's great to have sometimes like you know we think choose the true option choose the best option what about choose the most beautiful or like aesthetically delicious option that's a choice too um there's so much to talk about, I think, on this topic, and it yeah. just felt really fruitful for me, and it's been great to discuss it further through conversation. Yeah. Um, maybe a part two in the future, question mark? I think there's it's just a lot to, yeah. to talk about, but um, I hope that our listeners can start or continue living artistically. Yeah. Dear listener, 
be the a task and make a vision you. board yeah we'd love to see them <laughs> yeah, show submit us your vision, vision board. boards to us <laughs> thanks everybody thanks for listening to the comments tell podcast <laughs>